<laughs> and then, and then the follow-up question is: Are you now extra super careful for your hands? Because as a surgeon, I was already, you know, I was always worried about my hands because my hands were my, you know, my tools. Yeah. Uh, but for an ophthalmologist, I, you know, for me, I was doing some pretty, uh, you know, delicate surgeries. And then I thought, okay, I cannot do lift uh, weightlifting because that will mess up my hands and my, yeah. you know, <laughs> you have the same feeling or not? Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. And this is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. This is the Purr Podcast. I didn't think you were going to commit there for a minute. There was a pause, you know? I was waiting for you. Yeah, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sure. I wanted to put you in this sunshine because you probably don't have sunshine where you are right now. And I do it, have it's, a lot of sunshine. It's sunny. It's not very warm, but it's sunny. It's a sunny day. Yes. Yep. Yes. And we are very excited um, today to have Dr. Christine Lim with us. Welcome, Christine. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. And you're joining us from where? Now I'm in Chicago. Ah. Uh, so I've been, I'm, I'm in Windy City. closer to the border. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're Canadian, huh? Yeah. My parents live not too far from you in Canada. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yep. Did you grow up in Canada? Uh, we, lived we tend to get a lot of Canadians on this show, which I love. Yes, maybe. No, <laughs> yeah, no. We uh, we we were in. Have you heard of Deep River? Ontario? Yeah, sure, sure. I lived in Deep River for high school, and before that, we lived in Manitoba. But uh, yeah, um, Deep River is where I grew up. Cool. Yeah. So we always like to ask our guests a little bit about like how they became a veterinarian and. Did they always want to be a veterinarian? So what, what's your, what's your story? I probably very similar to a lot of people where I loved my cats. Right. And you always found little animals when you went out. And so I collected snakes and frogs and things. So wanted to grow up and take care of animals. Um, so that led me to work in vet hospitals, humane societies, and then go to Guelph um, went to vet school there. Um, that's sort of how I became a veterinarian. Um, and then I did, I, right after vet school, I went to PEI for an internship. Yeah. Um, and then a year of general small animal practice. And then I went to Davis for my residency. Um, and that's sort of how I then started my current career path. Cool. Cool. So your residency was an internal medicine residency or ophthalmology so david mags um and oh yes of course so sorry i meant at um for, yeah forgive me so at, at at the atlantic vet college your internship was was yeah. internal medicine yeah okay it was a small animal rotating yeah. gotcha yep and then uh so you had a year in general practice so i'm just going to shut up my yeah. video because i have some uh, some sound issues can you hear me 
Yeah, we can hear you, Yola. Okay, perfect, perfect. Yeah, I think it's the internet that's not so good. Okay. I'm in Hawaii, as a matter of fact, at the moment. So I'm really excited that Dr. Lee is with us. Um, but the internet here is not as strong as we normally have. So I'm just going to shut off my video for a second. <clears throat> uh, but uh, very happy to have you here. Um, we have only had one ophthalmologist before. Oh. Uh, which was an uh, ophthalmologist from uh, from Europe. So it would be really cool okay. to get the North American uh, view on ophthalmology. So uh, that's Dr. Rick Sanchez, oh, cool. uh, who was on. Uh, yeah, so that was really cool to talk with him. Uh, and that was an episode, uh, Dr. Susan, without you. Yes, that was an episode without me. Um, at, at points during the pandemic, I own two uh, uh, cat hospitals. And so at some points during the pandemic, I've just been so overwhelmed with, you know, work and so on that um, we've had a uh, couple of guest uh, spots, guest hosts. And uh, yeah, and so I, I actually have to listen to my own, my own podcast, a few issues, uh, episodes to get caught up with things. So yeah. So um, I was going to ask you that year you did in general practice, where did you do that at? It was in Carlton Place. Oh, okay. So also not so far from me. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so why ophthalmology? Um, in vet school, I really liked the lectures. Um, Charlotte Keller was the ophthalmologist at the yes. time. Yes. Um, she taught everybody. Um, yes. So I really liked the lectures. It was an interesting topic. And I had an interest in doing surgery and also the figuring out part of medicine. So I didn't want to have to pick one. I kind of liked how ophthalmology could, you could split your time. Um, and I think that's how it all started. And, and I think it made the right choice because I, I think it's a good specialty. Yeah, cool, cool. It's one of the, um, it has become, I think, a fairly popular specialty I've heard, is, especially in the US, is, is that right? It seems like a lot of people want residencies every year and probably a lot more than there are residency positions. Um, but I'm, I, I don't know exactly kind of how that mm. numbers are. Yeah, and yeah. I'm I'm going to to tell something now that Dr. Susan doesn't even know, oh. and she knows quite a lot about me. But that I almost became an ophthalmologist. Oh, I didn't know that. See, I told you, you didn't. And so I did an internship at the University of Georgia, and I was a student in the University of Georgia. And Dr. Renee Caswan, uh, you probably know her really well, uh, Dr. Lin, uh, was uh, asked me to do a ophthalmology residency in, uh, in Georgia. And I made the fatal mistake of saying no to that. So because I wanted to be a surgeon. Okay. Yeah, so I've, I would have almost been an ophthalmologist. And, you know, <laughs> if I think about it now, it probably was not the best decision in my life at that moment because, <laughs> although I love to be a surgeon. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, so I, I think ophthalmology is a really um, important subspecialty yeah. in veterinary medicine because a lot of people are very uncomfortable with the eyes. Yeah. And why is that, do you think? I am not sure. I, maybe it's because there's just this visceral discomfort with anything touching your eye. I don't know, maybe you don't want to do that to somebody else and that the eyes are kind of the window to the whole soul and your thoughts, maybe that just, I don't know, but it's common. And, and um, physicians I've talked to too, a lot of the times tell me that they are creeped out by eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. never liked the ophthalmology lectures in school, I'll have to admit, you know, um, cause I do get a little, yeah. 
yeah, I was the one who had my, like, you know, my gaze averted with some of the, some of the photos. Yeah, I have to admit that's me. It's this weird visceral thing that we have. you know, it's it's it it goes from contact lenses to you know weird eye pictures. I agree. Anything that has to do with eyes, people are worried about. And I also think that that eyes are relatively unforgiven. Yeah. So you know, when I do things to skin, I will say skin will heal anything. With eyes, you have to be so so careful. So maybe that has to do with it. Yeah, could be. Yeah, the delicacy um, of it too. Yeah, I think, you know, vets are always worried we don't want to make things worse or we don't want something to go wrong, of course. And yeah, so maybe maybe it's that little bit too, right? That your the eyes just seem so seem so delicate somehow. So and they Christine, can- oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, please. No, I just wanted to, to ask you if you knew from very young onwards that you always wanted to be an ophthalmologist. So when did this happen? You, you said a little bit, you had a really good teacher and that that person gave you inspiration. But uh, the first question is, do, did you want to be a veterinarian all your life? And then when did you find out that you really wanted to focus on eyes? Yeah, veterinarian, Yeah, like everybody, um, when you're a kid, veterinarian is one of the things you want to be. And I, I think I zeroed in on that pretty early. And then I picked all my summer jobs or side gigs um, kind of directed towards animals. Ophthalmology specifically, not until we got the lectures in vet school. So I think that was second year or so. And then I started, you know, doing more stuff specifically with opto to learn more about it. Mm. Yeah, that, that's great. And so you, your uh, residency was at UC Davis mm-hmm. and you were there for how long? Three years. Okay. Yep. With David Maggs. Yes. 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 Who Yola and I um, know, know very well. Yep. Yep. Lovely, lovely Dr. Mags. I I remember David telling me once that over time, um, ophthalmologists tend to get focused on sort of, I guess, anterior versus posterior chamber or like, you know, there's front of the eye people and back of the eye people. And I always found that, well, that was very interesting to me, but it's such a small little organ. And then people will specialize in an even smaller part of that small little organ. Yeah, and we're nowhere in veterinary medicine as close to the subspecialties of eye that physicians have. Right. But yeah, I think the number of people doing retina, it's a very specific thing. So most of us don't do retinas because you have to have a lot more extra training and equipment to be able to deal with it. And then the caseload as well. I don't think we, I don't think I see enough things to get proficient at doing a retinal surgery, for example. Yeah, that's that's So you are a front eye person then. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I medically treat um, retinal problems, but I cannot do much surgery. I can do a retinal Pepsi with a laser, and that's about it. Yeah, yeah. So it is probably a lot about equipment too, isn't it? And then just getting enough specialized training. So ophthalmology yeah. seems to have a lot of equipment. We're very expensive to set up. We're <laughs> dermatology, right? Where you just need slides and tape. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I love that fact because it's all about tools. You know, you have the coolest tools in ophthalmology. When you go to the ophthalmology OR, it's, you know, all tools, uh, <laughs> microscopes and, you know, Lasers. machines that nobody knows anything about and, <laughs> and, and suction machines and that sort of things. So it's really cool. Yes, I definitely agree. Um, it's fun to have all this stuff to play with. Yeah, I'm sure it is, especially if you know how to use it. Yeah. I also have another question for you because I always wonder, did you have always steady hands? Did you know that your uh, hands were so steady? Because I think as an ophthalmologist, yeah. you have to be so 
good with your hands. Did you have that feeling when you were young? I never thought about it when I was young. I don't even think I thought about it when I was interested in ophthalmology, to be honest. Um, and I never did anything special that would have, I don't know, I never had delicate hobbies that would have let me know <laughs> if I had good hands or not. Um, so no, uh, it wasn't until I, <laughs> I figured it out. And then, and then the follow-up question is, are you now extra super careful for your hands? Because as a surgeon, I was already, you know, I was always worried about my hands because my hands were my, you know, my tools. Yeah. Uh, but for an ophthalmologist, I, you know, for me, I was doing some pretty, uh, you know, delicate surgeries. And then I thought, okay, I cannot do lift uh, weightlifting because that will mess up my hands and my, yeah. you know, do you have the same feeling or not? I do and I don't. Um, so I would love to, for example, do martial arts, but I'm worried that the process of learning, I could hurt myself. But I do, when I work out, do weightlifting and rowing, but that has led to me having tendonitis in both of my wrists and two mm -hmm. surgeries on my left wrist and in injection. So I don't know, I am and I am not. So yeah. I yeah, I think it's true of veterinarians in general that our hands are really our livelihood. You know, I, I don't think I ever thought of it that way, but right, even if you're a general practice vet or you're just a cat vet like me, I, it's, hard, it's hard to think of like how you, you know, if you were, um, uh, if you, uh, like you, right, if you had tendonitis or you had something that uh, really uh, impaired your ability to use your hands, that's, that's kind of, that's a bad thought. And I, I never thought about vets in general as needing to be worried about their hands, but now I do. Have you ever hurt yourself? I find we get hurt a lot, right? And if you hurt your back or something, yeah. even things that you never thought about become yeah. extremely difficult. Yeah. I've never, um, I've never, I don't think I've ever hurt my hands. I, I, I've had some early in my career, I had some impressive cat bites and scratches, but you know, touch wood, it's been a long time. My reflexes have gotten quicker and, <laughs> and hopefully my ability to handle cats and right. And, and, and know when to reach for uh, the uh, better living through chemicals approach <laughs> has decreased my bites. But that was for me, I think that was always the, um, the worry. I had a, uh, a couple of scary uh, cat bites, you know, where you get cellulitis and Yes. Yeah. And you go to the ER and they draw that little line on your arm. Right. And they say, if it creeps past this line, you know, you, you should, you should get right back in. So you spend the night watching the, your arm and watching the, the line on your you arm. You don't want it to creep past. You don't want to wait till it's at that point to go back. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's crazy. So yes, but it's been a long time. So yes. Did you ever get a bad cat bite, Yola? I've never asked you that before. I didn't as a matter of fact. No, I, I you know, I, I've had quite a lot of you know, bite incidents. I, I, I remember that a student was bit in her face uh, during, uh, yeah, that was awful, really, really awful. So there were, and I've been very, very close, but I've not had the cat bite that, you know, swells up your whole arm and your lymph nodes, etc. Yeah. So no, I haven't. But I was really careful with my hands when I was still doing surgery. Uh, and, and as Christine said, I didn't do some of the things that I wanted to do because I was very afraid, like really heavy sports. Um, I play a lot of tennis right now. I probably would not have done that during my surgery wow. career because it really, you know, kind of put a lot of strain on your hands. Um, mm -hmm. I, I do think that the um, 
especially the finesse is affected by when you do really rough work with your muscles or your hands or whatever. Um, and so I had a period that I hardly did anything just to protect my hands. And I stopped horseback riding also for that because, yeah. you know, in my case, uh, the chance that I was thrown off the horse was relatively high because I was not that good a horseback rider. <laughs> and uh, I had a couple of very close encounters and I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this because if I break my hands and it's, it's a big problem. And I've also insured my hands for a couple of years, but I stopped that after a while. Okay. How do you insure your hands? We need to hear this. Oh, I've... you can have, you can, you, ha you can get special insurance for your hands if you're a surgeon. Because, you know, it, it's your livelihood. So if you, uh, and that, you know, you just get paid for if you cannot do your surgeries for that. Right, mm -hmm. right. But then you have to be like, well, I guess you're careful anyway, but would they, would they, would the insurance company say like, oh, you shouldn't have gone horseback riding and broken your hand. So we're not going to pay you. Uh, I'm not sure. I think that you don't have to sign. I mean, you know, I went skiing and skiing is also one of those places where you can break anything you want. Um, so, but it was not in the little letters that I couldn't go skiing. So I think it's in, in, in the fee that you pay that the risk that they take. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I have so, never known anybody with a body part insured before. Wow. Really? No. Are your hands insured, Christine? They are. I do know ophthalmologists who told me they've considered it. So I don't, maybe it is more common than maybe yeah that. maybe it's more of a thing than we know mm -hmm. uh, here you hear everything at the purple test <laughs> eh? so this is this is the hot news that's coming out but uh, but christine so what is your favorite ophthalmologic procedure oh good question i like cataract surgery a lot why tools tools it I, I think it is like a fine, well, yeah, you're doing through the microscope, but it, I think it's really fun to kind of have this little fine motor thing. And it's almost like Pac-Man where you're breaking up this little thing and trying to eat it up. I just like, I think I just like the little delicate small place that I get to work and use fine motor skills. And then they get to see afterwards. Yeah. You make someone who was walking into walls suddenly visual and change their life. Yeah. A lot yeah. of fun to hear about after. It's become such a routine surgery in, for people, um, right? I, I remember the last time I saw my ophthalmologist, um, you know, she, because I, I, you know, we all get older, right? And so she said to me, you know, sooner or later, most of us get cataract, will need, you know, or should have cataract surgery. I'm like, wow, that's a good business to be in. Everybody's going to need their cataracts treated. So, yeah. And then they get a second one done when they kind of grow back. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's mostly dogs, I'm assuming you treat cataracts in? Yeah, yeah. Um, because dogs get diabetic cataracts. Right. Get, um, the genetic cataracts, whereas cats, if they get cataracts, it's usually uveitis. Right. Um, and then there are other issues that make cataract surgery not a great idea. So. And yes. with cataracts, you use a special machine called the FACO. And I mm -hmm. think very few people really understand what that machine does. So can you explain that to lay people? What does a FACO exactly do? Um, the machine itself, I think of it like a little jackhammer with a vacuum um, put together. So it's about the size of a pen. Uh, 
And after you've entered the eye and opened the lens capsule, so the lens has the capsule and then all the cells inside, if you make a hole in the lens capsule, um, then you can put your little phaco probe in and the, with ultrasound, it breaks up okay. the, the lens cortex and then it also sucks it out at the same time. And then you're left with just the empty capsule. Yeah. So that's the, what the machine actually does for us. And is anything put in the capsule? Cause in people they do, right? Yeah. Yeah, so barring any complication where there's too much damage to the capsule, so like with a really advanced cataract where you can get tears, right. um, then we, the, so the incision in the cornea through which you do the surgery is about three millimeters or so. So then you take a little instrument and it has a little lens folded up in it and you inject it into the lens capsule and then it will unfold. So you've got the lens and then these little, depending on the style, these little haptics is what they call them, that kind of spring load and hold it in place in the lens capsule. Uh, it and sounds like a video so cool. game. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and then you don't even suture, huh? So the little I do, hole. I do, yeah. Oh, you do suture. Okay. It's a nine-aught vicral that we use to suture the cornea. Yeah, and how small is nine-aught exactly? Um, half, half the width of a human hair. Oh Ooh, my gosh! Wow, I, I like that comparison. So half the width of human hair, yeah, that's that, that's tough. And 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 um, so in human medicine, they don't always suture the cornea. No, so they have a special technique how they. So how? Why doesn't the fluid leak out? Um, you can kind of inject um, to kind of make the cornea swell on either side of the incision, so that it just pressure keeps it together. Okay. You can instruct the person not to pick at their eyes, whereas. <laughs> Dogs, dogs need <laughs> yeah yeah not so much yeah cats i've put in hats too cats are harder when it comes to any kind of eye problem and they need an elizabethan collar because i feel like there's just the stress on a cat from an e-collar makes them play yeah. with herpes sometimes um, yeah so, yeah with cats i always have the feeling that they take that one little nail and then you're nine odds and they <laughs> put that little nail right under that and then they rip it out <laughs> Seen things like that happen. <laughs> they'll, they'll find a way. Yeah. 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 So, not so much cataract surgery in cats. What would be the most common surgical technique you do? But in before, cats? We, before we go oh. there, so cats are more difficult. Eh? I remember from, is that still true that cats are more difficult when they get cataracts compared to oh. the D word? Good question. Um, so their cataracts are usually secondary to uveitis. Mm -hmm. um, and because of that, you might have too much damage inside the eye to make cataract surgery a good idea. Um, just adverse effects like glaucoma afterwards, for example, or retinal detachment. Um, if you have a cataract that is truly just a cataract because of some kind of genetic issue, then uh, it's much less common in cats, but they can be very good candidates for cataract surgery. Their mm -hmm. eyes are less inflammatory than dogs. So they get lower levels of uveitis after an intraocular surgery hmm, compared to heard that yeah yeah cool yeah so so what what's the most common technique then you would do on surgical let's say for cats because there's not that. a lot i don't think there aren't um when i think about surgical things that we do in cats uh conjunctival pedicle grafts for deep ulcers yeah lens luxation so removal of lenses and enucleations that's probably yeah, as we do surgically, it tends to be a lot of medical care for cats. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned lens luxations. Yeah. So tell us, talk to us a little bit about that in, in cats. How do they get lens luxations? 
So um, the lens, oh, too bad I don't have a diagram, but the lens sits immediately behind your iris yeah. and radially there are little zonules, little fibers that come out and hold it in place. So any kind of luxation has to happen because you've had breakdown of those fibers. Okay. Cats, most commonly it's uveitis. Oh. So whether it's a, that idiopathic lymphoplasmacytic uveitis or sometimes FIV induced uveitis, over time inflammation will call the, cause those zonules to break down and then the lens moves out of place. Um, you can also have age related. Um, and then I do think some of the squishier face cats, um, I've seen younger ones with um, anterior lens luxation that I think they have a zonular dysplasia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're really beginning um, finally, to be sensitized to the, uh, the the bad parts of those kind of cute, squishy-faced um, cats and dogs, right? There's been a lot more talk around it. I actually got asked to give a, a lecture on it in, in Europe just before the pandemic. So I'm really glad to see that kind of, you know, coming to the fore, even though a lot of the discussions around the flat-faced dogs, the flat, flat there's some very flat-faced cats and yeah. Yeah. And so I think uh, there's probably more going on with them than we know, I'm guessing. And then now you're, you know, you're mentioning something that I hadn't thought of either, that they may have some other types of um, dysplasias that affect their vision. So I think the problem with the flat face cats too, is that their owners, they just sit there and then some of their owners don't perceive any kind of discomfort or pain going on, even if they have something that is quite yeah. obvious to us yeah. as painful or uncomfortable. Yeah, I've, I've seen too many over the years of very flat faced um, Persians, for example, right, where their eyelids don't meet. And yeah. so they always have some exposure keratitis. And it's when you tell the owner of the cat, they're like, they, they are either amazed or disbelieving because the, you know, the cat gives them hardly any, right. any, any sign. Yeah. yeah. So it's that, you know, that, 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 that can be tough. I think sometimes for owners, it's tough to see the, the sad side of, of what those animals go through. Right. And then again, for cats, the poor little nasolacrimal ducks uh, are, are like non-functional from early <laughs> in life. Yeah. And I yeah. hate to break up the party, but we're 25 <laughs> minutes already. It's no. crazy how fast time goes. No. Uh, so we have to say goodbye for now, but we'll be back. We'll be back in a week with okay. part two. You promise we can keep talking more next. Yeah. Ab absolutely. And, okay. and I, I think it's really important to, to stress that we have not talked about enucleations. And this is the cliffhanger because I want to know, and, and Christine, you don't have to answer yet, but I want to know if an enucleation feels as bad as an amputation for me. For, you know, when, when I'm a surgical oncologist, an amputation is really the last resort. And oh. when I have to do an amputation, I always feel really, really bad. So I want do to you? ask that exactly question to you too. Don't answer yet. We'll, we'll talk about it next week. Okay. Um, about enucleation. So uh, so this was the per podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Lim. Uh, Christine, it's wonderful to have you on board. And, uh, and we'll see you back next week. Yes. If you hear... Uh, if you like what you hear, um, please follow us on perpodcast.net. Uh, we also have a wonderful social media handle. At perpodcast. At perpodcast. That's exactly right. And we'll see you next week. So thank you, Dr. Lim. All right. Thank you. 
Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yola Kirpenstein is a diplomat of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove screw-bite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page, at per podcast. 